Why investment banks would make ratings for energy stocks is beyond us on this energy edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. I am Sean O'Reilly, joining you here from Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. I am joined today by the ones, ones and only Tyler Crow and Taylor Muckerman. How are you guys? Doing all right, man. So uh, Goldman Sachs making some moves, putting out some uh, energy stock ratings on trying to follow up with their awesome record with this sort of thing. Yeah, What's going I mean, on? Just, just just so everybody's clear on this one, um, Goldman Sachs, this is the same team at Goldman Sachs that said six months ago that uh, oil today would be right around $45 a barrel or less because that was what's necessary to uh, – Disincentivize investment. Exactly, for oil producers in the United States to shut down production. Uh, this was also the same team that a year ago said that oil would be at – $90 or better uh, forever for a long time because that was the price that it took to be sustainable. So anything that you hear, you kind of have to take with a grain of salt because that, so that's their record. They started with the oil majors, of course, and you've got Exxon, Chevron, BP, and Statoil. And they still have, what, Exxon at a sell? No, Exxon is a buy. Oh, that's Exxon the only buy. The okay, only everybody buy. else is a sell. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really bold move to say somebody who's as large as Chevron it's, or BP to be an outright sell. I mean, it's hard to imagine Exxon thriving while these other guys just die. It's just not. Uh, there are macroeconomic factors here. Yeah, I mean, it, there's in no way are these. I, I think you know, if it, the everyday investor were to look at this, I don't think anybody should be running out and selling their shares of BP or Chevron or anybody like that. Just simply because uh, Goldman Sachs is saying so. Uh, an individual investor, probably not doing it for the short-term quarterly profits of somebody like a BP, probably doing it because they're looking for a long-term dividend, something nice and stable for to and that's, for an income. That's the reason Goldman likes Exxon so much, is their ability to raise their dividend for the next one to two years. Yeah, the next one to two years is Yeah, because, right. I mean, if you're only buying until 2016, then clearly, you know. But what? guys, I invest for the long term. <laughs> so maybe they're all worth a look. Um, but what they're trying to say, I think, is that Exxon has kind of planned their projects out fairly well in hindsight now that you see the price of oil collapse where a lot of their major projects are, are online or very near to be coming online, whereas Chevron keeps missing on its Wheatstone project, which is costing them billions of dollars more than they had expected. They have other big LNG projects that they're talking about. Now, Shell's got this huge deal for BG Group, um, which is going to cost them, was it $70 billion? US? Yeah, well, with the assumption of debt, it's going to be about right. $70 so billion. So $50 million in cash or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so $50 billion, sorry. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, so that's a, that's a big deal that now they've got the they're on the hook for. And so, yeah, dividend worries for 2016 and 2017, but not... Not to erase the dividend, they're still going to have a decent yield, um, but no investor likes to see their dividend cut. Yeah, I think the another thing that ExxonMobil may be seeing, and, and maybe on a short-term basis this might credit something, but maybe long-term, you know, might all come out in the wash. But if you look at somebody like a BP, uh, in terms of oil and gas, integrated oil and gas companies, the big oil companies, they're one of the ones whose there's production mix, you know, the amount of oil versus the amount of natural gas that they produce. Uh, they're one of the ones that's more heavily weighted towards production of oil. Now, normally that would mean that you would have better margins because normally selling oil would 
generate higher margins than selling natural gas. However, if you look at the margins at BP, gross margins, EBITDA margins for their exploration production side, they're actually kind of low. And that was even back last year. Do they have an expense problem? I mean, is that they have some cost? You know, they had up until. Well, obviously, they had the uh, Deepwater Horizon, so that's been kind Awkward. of paying, paying for things <laughs> a little bit there. But We're still talking about that. I think yeah, Transocean they, and Halliburton finally settled yeah, with BP today or yep. yesterday. There was a final settlement on that one. So you've got costs associated with that. Um, they haven't, prior to that spill and prior to this massive cost-cutting thing that they've been going through, uh, as a result, uh, they they didn't have great margins in the first place. You know, maybe weren't exactly the most prudent capital spenders. And so, when you have that, and you're kind of looking at that ninety hundred dollar barrel uh, level, and the margins aren't looking that great, then when you bring it down to this to the current level, you're seeing that major difference. I mean, even on conference calls, BP was saying, "Oh, now we're going to start uh, rating all of our projects to be profitable at sixty dollar oil." Well, I guess the question is, why weren't you doing that before? Man, I, I hate to be harsh, but I mean, and kind of like he sees it. Yeah, and does it, BP still stand for Beyond Petroleum? By uh, the way, I think that was just. I a think marketing it's yeah, that was just a marketing campaign. <laughs> nice job, like that that, that elephant that GE had dancing in the rainforest <laughs> ten years ago. <laughs> Um, and so, if you look at somebody like YouTube the next one, that I don't remember that. I don't. Yeah, I don't remember that one. So, a dancing elephant. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a long time ago. It's they don't even live time. in the rainforest. It's on YouTube. I believe it. Tell that to GE. I'll check it out. <laughs> so, with Exxon Mobil being a buy, yeah, they've been one of the only ones in terms of exploration and production, been able to generate decent enough returns on that production to actually justify over the next couple. At least in Goldman's view, that that next year and a half, two years of actually raising and sustainably building out the dividend. But to say that any of these companies are going to significantly be compromised because of dividend payments over the next year or so, yeah. it seems a little bit of a knee-jerk ex- reaction. It seems like Exxon, if it's a buy, then the other ones are at the very least a hold or something. It's very – yeah. Anyway. Agreed. So uh, they went on. They didn't stop with the majors and they went on to the offshore drillers. And, of course, these guys are kind of in a catch. 22 because you know oil prices dropped six months ago and here we are we don't know where they're going to go in the future but deep water drilling is like you plan this stuff five years out like this is very long-term stuff when we don't do this we will be short on oil or short of oil as a planet in like 2020 or something it's hypothetical but uh so they were really beaten up on these days downgraded uh diamond offshore atwood and transocean what did they say like what what, what was the deal here I, there's a l- oversupply of rigs. They're going to have to uh, shelf some of these rigs, idle them as they call that, um, or dry dock them. And um, you look at new fleets are going to be are going to be in vogue moving forward. If you've got an old fleet, um, if you're not capable of drilling in ultra deep water, then you're going to be hurting. And I think that's where Transocean and Diamond offshore at least lie. Um, because Transocean's fleet is like what? It's 20, 20 huge and it's old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're <laughs> they're trying very hard to. Uh, it's an elephant. Yeah, <laughs> it's not dancing in the dancing. rainforest, but yeah. it's uh, it's floating on it's the ocean. <laughs> uh, to, to their credit, Transocean is taking some very large steps to modernize their fleet with, this is con- true. with construction, and they are taking a lot of their older rigs off of uh, out of commission through retiring and and whatnot. But it is going to be a major issue for the next several years. Um, 
in how they're going to be able to move forward as a market in general. Uh, I believe it's a Diamond Offshore rig. They have several rigs that are still under contract that are more than 25 years old. And as much as they would love to keep these things in operation with all these brand new rigs that are coming online, producers like the Chevrons, like the BPs, ExxonMobils, they're going to look and say, why are we spending money for a 25-year-old piece of equipment? With when, oil at 60 bucks. With oil at 60 yeah. When we can do it with a brand new piece of equipment that can do it at a better, uh, it can do it more safer. It can do it uh, more efficiently. It can go different places. Uh, it just until once those contracts start to roll off, we're going to see even more of these uh, rigs from Diamond from Transocean so start to get retired. If uh, if you're of the opinion, kind of what I hinted at is that you know long term we're going to still a lot of conventional oil plays on this planet are they're not they're not they're they're starting to decline, and we're going to have to start drilling more and more offshore you had uh i was at shell just had that deal to start looking in the arctic i was really surprised to see that because i don't you just have to have somewhat of a bullish outlook well, especially because they keep failing at it yeah well not exactly the best that's thing. another <laughs> matter um but um if if you were of the opinion that long term we're still going to be using these rigs to drill offshore which one is the best one to take advantage of that on three one two three atwood um you know looking at the goldman stuff Again, just like with the big oil companies. So they're not wrong per se. They're not wrong. They're just – instead of looking – They're not wrong from, I, I like this from nice a competitive metaphor. perspective, yeah. but they are probably wrong yeah. on the from a, from macro. A, from a, I like to use this nice metaphor. I believe that Goldman is looking at the waves rather than the horizon. Um, you know, you've got – Very fitting it, for the offshore industry. Deep. Yeah. It's, you know, you have – Ultra deep. <laughs> you have a, a, a commodity cycle – in anything that's oil and gas. And with rigs, it's a little different because it's the the cycle of rigs coming on and offline. Uh, So as companies go through these cycles, yeah, they're going to be a sell on a short-term basis because they might not do as great in terms of profitability. But if you're looking on the long-term horizon, like you said, uh, drilling activity in the offshore is going to continue to increase. These rigs are going to be in use over the long term. And to do that, you know, like we were saying, Atwood is just one of the better companies to do it. You know, Taylor and I talking about this earlier. We both really like their balance sheet. We like the fleet that they have. Uh, have So it's the best of both worlds. They've got a good fleet. They have a modern fleet. They have a decent balance sheet. They're not a huge company. You know, their their fleet is considerably smaller than a than any of the other companies Mm -hmm. that we've ever. We we don't talk about Diamond or Transocean or Sea Drill or anyone like that, but. all those things said, just because they're smaller doesn't mean that they're not well positioned. Right. Agreed. Um, and they have a CEO who used to work for Transocean, um, so he knows how to run it once it does – if it does decide to get bigger. And he has better assets over where he is now. Much so. big, much better assets, um, and they've slowly started to sign contracts with the, the ultra-big producers, not just the small-time independents that, that, they, that they started out with a couple of years ago. They're, they're getting big-time contracts from – other companies with strong balance sheets that aren't going to be as quick to pull the plug on projects. Yeah, and I mean, if you're if you are one of those investors who wants to look at that horizon instead of the waves, I mean, it, it seems like a very opportune opportune time to pick up shares of mm-hmm. Atwood as well. Uh, right now, they're they're trading at point uh, seven seven times their book value, so seventy seven cents on the dollar for what the the assets on they have on hand are worth, and 
you know, there's if you look at it, you could say, oh, well, maybe it's because some things are coming down the pipe. But if you look, like we said, about their fleet, they might retire one or two, but they're not going to have those huge asset write downs like we're seeing with other companies in the space uh, as they retire those things. So that that book value is pretty, pretty accurate in comparison to what we should expect over the, over the long term. Very good. Well, before we go, guys, I want to get your guys' thoughts. Uh, saw this on the uh, the news scroll earlier. Uh, fun fact: Oil has the lowest share of U.S. transport since the steam age. What? That's scary, guys. Oh my God! What is? It I don't down? even remember the steam age. What? What is it down to? I mean, ninety-two percent <laughs> down from ninety-three. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, electric vehicles. People are, are moving more to urban areas. So this areas. needle moved a little bit because a couple of people we all know probably bought a Prius, and that was it. Prius, Tesla, you know, there's not a huge adoption yet, but people are moving to cities, more foot traffic, more bikes, more metros, um, and even the buses here in D.C. are advertising how clean they are. So people, you can visibly see the reduction, but I think you, I think people see it with their eyes more so than the actual data might yeah. hint like you might think that oil's on its way out but as we just said it's still 92 percent of transportation fuel so lng and electricity have a long way to go yeah i mean and if there's any takeaway from that it's uh for the investors is patience um there are i remember we talked about this about three or four years ago uh with natural gas being as cheap as it was and still is by in comparison even at today's prices of oil uh that natural gas could become a legitimate substitute for uh, fueling vehicles in the United States. Uh, we have seen some progress there. You know, companies like Westport Innovations, Clean Energy Fuels. But a couple it still years ago, requires trillions. Still requires of re, like just yeah. This is a really really yeah. big shift that we're talking about, and to usurp uh, oil is going to be a huge huge monumental effort. And I think. You know, two or three years ago, when this this idea, this seed got planted in a lot of people's minds, they got very excited about the idea, and you know, you saw huge run ups in stock prices at places like Westport Innovations and Clean Energy Fuels and whatnot. And so, but since then, that progress probably hasn't, you know, I guess hasn't happened as fast as stock prices did. And so, now those companies, to be fair, are still growing at twenty, thirty percent, but they're still not making money. So sales like, are growing. Yeah. Sales, you know, it's it's a steady slog uphill and it should be a slog because we're trying to move a very large boulder that is oil by transportation and but at the same time investors have kind of lost patience with a lot of these these sort of stocks because they didn't meet their expectations within a year or two which i guess is kind of surprising that if you were investing that that you would think that it would turn around that quickly but you know if you see stuff like this it shows that there is progress away from oil and you know that optionality will make things better for everybody in the future optionality uh, becomes more competitive prices and things like that so if you're an investor in something that is looking to disrupt the transportation fuel industry i I would just say have patience it's coming it's just not coming as fast as you may have expected not a freight train yet not yet wait a while wait a while uh, well, that is it for us, Fools. Before we go, I wanted to make our listeners aware of a special offer for all industry-focused listeners. If you found this discussion informative and you're looking for more foolish stock ideas, Stock Advisor may be the service for you. It is our flagship newsletter started more than 10 years ago by Motley Fool co-founders Tom and David Gardner. We're offering the lowest price out there for industry-focused listeners. It is $98 for a two-year subscription to Stock Advisor. You'll get two stock recommendations every single month with insight from our team of analysts. 
Just go to focus.fool.com to take advantage of this deal. That is focus.fool.com. As always, people on this program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. That's it for us fools. Thanks for listening, and fool on.